All right, TBD Podcast with Ryan McGinnis today. He is the owner of RPM Realty Investments. Correct. Welcome to the show, my man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you doing this. Yeah. So we were just talking before the show about the current market, interest rates, how everything's all messed up. And you mentioned you've maintained your interest rates for your borrowers. Yes. What we, made you make that decision? Uh, you know, we're at 12%. We've always been at 12%. Um, you know, we don't need to squeeze the last dollar out of them. It's been a good relationship. It helped grow the fund for the last 10 years or so. Uh, we're really good, happy with our trajectory that it's going. So we just want to keep that business, you know, booming. Per good, se. good on you guys, man. I mean, I feel like every other sector is shot up, especially hard money traditionally, right? Sure. That's like 13, 14, 15% now. Yeah. Deals almost don't make sense. It's tough. It really is. Yeah. Do you get borrowers coming to you guys, you know, trying to figure out the numbers? I mean, how do you guys underwrite your deals? Yeah, typically. So we're an asset-based lender. Um, specifically, we're looking at loan to value. So we want to know what their, their property is valued at, determine that, or we can usually do it ourselves and figure it out. Um, but yeah, oftentimes they come with us and we're transparent. Sometimes a, a, a borrower will come to us with the money down, they're ready to go. And we're like, well, why are you doing this deal? You know, by the time you pay an origination fee and, and, and your interest and taxes and insurance and headache, you know, you could just put money with us or, or, or get a CD, yeah. you know, and, and be a lender on a deal and, and go on vacation and make basically the same, if not more, and definitely have less headache. That's the issue with some of these commercial properties, especially multifamily, right? Like the stuff is still selling at like high five and a six and a half cap. If it's a good deal in a great location, you're never going to get debt that low. Sure. Like these guys are having to put 50% down on deals to make it work. Sure. But you guys maintaining rates, are you still seeing people put the same amount down or kind of maybe walk me through the structure of buying a property through you guys? And yeah. maybe we can use a million dollar valuation or a million dollar purchase price. Right. So as I said, we're strictly asset based lending. We're not pulling credit. Uh, we're not pulling tax returns, no income ver verification, things like that. You know, on a nice single family home, we'll lend up to 70% of the property's value. So, you know, on a million dollar house, somebody would have to put down 300,000. If it's commercial or multifamily, typically up to 65%. Or if it's raw land, typically we lend up to 50% on that. Does the property, can you own or occupy the property or no? So it has to be closed in an LLC where commercial notes. So um, beyond that, you know, what, what they do is, is on them. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a no-no, right? Is that like a federal regulation? Correct. If, if uh, we're having a homesteaded primary residence, we'd have to do the same underwriting and guidelines that, mm. that a general bank would do. So at that point, we'd have to have debt to income and all those ratios and minimum credit and et cetera. Interesting. I would imagine business is good in this market, right? Debt at a commercial bank is 8% plus. Hard money's going crazy. You guys have maintained rates. Are, have you seen a huge uptick in your business? Yeah, I think there's a natural growth there just in our company, but also, yes, correct. When when we were 12% and, and banks were 3%, people were like, you know, you're crazy because there was a huge spread there. Now, um, you know, conventional loan is 8%, oftentimes higher than that for any kind of hybrid or, you know, a jumbo or or multifamily or things like that. So, you know, there's a very narrow gap now between hard money lending and conventional lending. And then do you require there to be a renter back to that million dollar example? You know, let's just say it's a million dollar rental property. Do you require some sort of an income for that property to match the debt? So we don't, which is, which is rare for us because at the end of the day, we're, when we make that loan, we're okay getting that collateral back at that level. 
we're not going to be an owner operator. We're not going to put a lease in there. We're not going to put a tenant in there if we got the property back, right? right? Ultimately, if we did have to go through the foreclosure, we're just selling the property at the auction or potentially getting it back and selling it right away. So uh, we, us specifically, we're different in that regard. A lot of banks and even other private lenders, hard money lenders, would want to see that, um, but we do not. Potentially going to take back a property. Is it based on a lower market value that can sell the property quickly, or are you guys in the business of potentially keeping a portfolio of these properties that you unfortunately have to take back? Yeah, we do not want to operate. Um, you know, that's my, that's my past and what led me to this. So we really just want to know we can exit at a fire sale. Yeah. And we work with our bars. You know, things happen. Um, we are not the type of lender that wants to take your property, and we exhaust every effort of them to, to get rid of it on their own or figure something out prior to racking up, you know, attorney's fees and even yeah. proceeding with a uh, foreclosure or anything close to that. Yeah, because that adds a whole can of worms, right? I mean, you, you would rather that borrower, hey, sell the property, pay us back, move on. Exactly. You know, they probably put down 30, 40, 50%. On average, our portfolio is around 57%. Wow. Um, so, you know, we're getting on average 43% down. So, God forbid, even a job or health or divorce or something crazy happened to them, you know, out of their control or the good people... We would say, look, sell your million dollar place for nine hundred or nine fifty, and and get back up on your feet. You know, you, you got a few hundred thousand in in uh, money sitting there for you, and 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 move on to your next project. Right. Yeah. Because the borrower has a, a good amount of equity. Absolutely. As long as the market keeps up, which I believe it will. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen in the lending space? I know it's kind of a crystal ball scenario, but it seems to me now you guys are healthy, right? Fifty-seven percent. You mentioned. I mean, that's an extremely healthy position. Here. Sure. Do you think some other lenders that are in your space won't do as well because they're attached to institutional debt or they're attached to lenders around the country? You guys seem very hyper-local. Yeah, it's all about the underwriting. So there is definitely private lenders and, and many other lending programs that were lending 80 90% plus rehab, things of that nature, where I think if the market turns around or if things get skittish, that's, that's, the, that's the lenders that will have the issues. And a lot of those lenders are already having issues or are pulled out of the market. There was a lot of institutional lenders coming to town from California and New York, you know, slinging guns down here, getting a bunch of uh, properties and borrowers. And I think they're definitely in, in trouble now. It seems like development is where those problems would arise, right? Because, you know, there's a land acquisition and then construction costs. Usually that lender has a ton of money out there before that developer might not have the same skin in the game. Is yeah. that where you see a, a, a turning point? So that's that's the difference between, you know, credit underwriting and, and checking your borrowers, you know, what deals they've done where you have to put a lot more faith in the borrower. Nothing that there's wrong, there's nothing wrong with that way of lending, but that's just not what we do. But th that's, that's definitely where I think you'll see issues, right? Yeah. Yes, the guy was good. Yes, he had five properties that he flipped. But things turn around, I mean, or, or something unforeseen happens, you know, I know that 57%, I'm completely fine owning right. our entire portfolio at 57% in uh, any scenario. Amazing, right? Yeah, it, it would take some serious correction for that portfolio to take a hit. And even then, if there is, right, say there's a true 40% correction, first of all, we'd be at par in our notes overall, but you really lost 40% in your stock portfolio, or you really lost 40% in your rental portfolio, where us, we'd still be getting interest every month or potentially the property. Right. So I'm very, very happy there. Yeah, that's a good position to be in. It seems like over the past two and a half, maybe three years, Tampa has been on this extremely bull run in real estate. It's definitely softened up recently. But 
almost anyone and everyone could make money in development, right? Like you could buy any piece of property a few years ago, put a new house on it, sell it and make money. So I think those guys and those lenders like that just had some fire business model where they go in and they buy property and they, you know, they develop it. It seems like if the market turned, those are the guys that are going to get, gonna get hit. Sure, sure. And that's already happening in a lot of other asset classes for, for a few years. It didn't matter what you bought. whether Multifamily you know, too, especially. I mean, right? even outside of real estate, you could have bought a brand new Lamborghini and then sold it for 100000 more. You could have bought a, a you know, Patek watch and sold it for 100000 right. more or Bitcoin and you know, anything. Yeah. It didn't matter. It was too easy. And now I think people are realizing, no, oh, i got to actually work and, <laughs> and realize what's going on with my money. You can't just blindly. You yeah. know, for years, uh, did you see dumb money that came out a couple weeks ago? Dumb money now. Okay, it was about the GameStop stock and all that. It, oh, I gotta watch it. Is yeah, it Netflix. Or? I was in the theaters. I'm not sure what else it's on, but it reminded me of how dumb money was for a while. You could just blindly do anything and make it, money. It was crazy, right? Like the whole remember the NFT thing, the sure. metaverse, and like all those bullshit investments were making a ridiculous amount of money. Pokemon cards, yeah, was a big deal. Yeah, now you have to be at least a little bit savvy to sure. be in a good position. But I think Tampa here is so insulated where. We're almost still in that space where as long as it's a good location and you buy it for a good number, you should be okay. Yeah, I agree. We have a lot of protection from people moving to the state, people moving to Tampa, just natural growth in Tampa. You know, I would not want to be owning a lot in New York and California, a lot of these these states where people are coming from down here. I think Florida and Texas, you know, has a lot of good communities. So even as the market softens or could even go down, I think you might see... much more stability here than, yeah, than anywhere else. Absolutely. How did you find your way to Tampa? Um, I've been, I moved down in 1987 when I was a kid with my family, moved to, to Valrico, um, and then pretty much have been, I've been downtown or around downtown since 2008, so I, I love it here. 2008, oh my God, there was nothing going on in downtown Tampa in 2008. Yeah, when, once things closed at five, you couldn't, there was nowhere to eat, there was, not, yeah, there was nothing to do, you had to go to the outskirts, but yeah, yeah. downtown it was literally, uh, I, lived, I lived next to the old, old fly bar, um, and uh, there was nothing going on. Yeah, on Franklin, right? Correct. Yeah, that's a cool little area. I always like that little spot, the Brick Street, mm-hmm. little historic buildings. Yeah. Where did you live around there? It's called the Residences on Franklin. If, if you were facing the old fly bar, it was to the left. It was like an eight-story, mm. probably 30-something unit uh, condos. Mm-hmm. That's a nice little building, man. Have you seen that building? I think so. It's really cool. And actually, you could you used to be able to get them for good prices, too. I think I got the building low. I paid 72000 for my unit there. Oh, my God, 72000 Now they're probably four or 500 I don't know. Unbelievable. Yeah, I had always, so growing up in Tampa, I had always had a vision for the city. I always thought we would have an incredible growth pattern. And it really, it started a little bit during the last recession in 2008. You saw like Trump Tower got announced and Sky Point and Element and all these buildings were being built. And then the crash happened. Sure. But I always had a vision for our little urban core. When you moved here and you started to get into real estate, did you say, damn, Tampa's like a hidden gem? Yeah, you know, I wish I bought everything and never sold anything. Um, you know, prior to the lending, when I was flipping and doing construction, it, you we could buy a property for forty and sell it for sixty or seventy, and now those properties are like three hundred, right? Crazy. Um, but yeah, downtown and again, the, just the land value around Channel Side, you could pick up something for maybe a hundred thousand. That's probably three or four million now because it was just it wasn't a place to live there. People didn't really have, I don't think, the vision. I mean, I didn't to the extent that we are today of, yeah. of what would come. You know, it was started with uh, 
uh, Sparkman Wharf, I forget what it was called, but you know, uh, the bowling alley opened up there right. when, when I was in high school and, and it was like, you know, the place to be and now it's kind of just bloomed from there. Yeah, Sparkman Wharf was a game changer. Tearing down that front wall on the water, I don't know why they didn't do that from the beginning, right? Yeah. My dad would always joke around, like, why would they build a development with retail and close off the water view? Like, that's the stupidest thing ever. Yeah. And then Venick bought it and tore it down. Um, so how did you transition from your construction, flipping, right, rental property into lending? I guess start from the beginning, right? Like when did you get into real estate? So around 2009, a friend of mine was flipping houses. I had raised some capital and invested my own capital back then. He, he did most of the work and we had a, a, you know, kind of a joint venture agreement on getting things done. Uh, then started doing the flipping on my own and then transitioned a little bit to, to um, new construction, single family. You know, between flips and single family, did a couple hundred houses here in Tampa and around around the area. Uh, 2016 or so, the market had been you know screaming up for six years at that point, which I thought you know wow that's a while you know it went up another at least six years. But um, at that point, I saw value in lending because we could still get a good yield, but it takes the risk off the table for for us mm. with our down payments. Mm. Wow. So you kind of came at it from a financial perspective in that you had a partner that was doing the heavy lifting in terms of like the construction and the actual flipping, right? Yeah, I kind of learned from him and then started doing it on my own really and transitioned off and, and had other partners and a bunch of different projects. Yeah. And now you guys, like you said, exclusively do lending. Correct. Yeah. You know, we, we found that at some point, like currently right now, we have 246 active loans in our books. If I had to have 246 flips going on, I'd have to have a 10, 20,000 square foot office. I'd have to have dozens or hundreds of employees. I'd have so much headache and risk and theft and, you know, um, just a ton of risk to things out beyond my control where I feel very comfortable on, on, in the lending space. And it's much easier um, to, to manage and scale up. And it, it's really interesting to me because you had that idea, right, to, to mitigate that risk, really take that risk off the table. You know, now you don't own toilets and tenants and, and be responsible for all these people. It almost seems like that today is more true than ever, right, with the way, I don't know, interest rates are and the way the market is. Lending seems like a very safe bet today. I agree with it. You know, there there's guys that can work hard and find the real deals and outperform for sure, but at what cost, right? At what mental cost, at, at what physical cost, um, where, you know, there's a certain yield that we've achieved that I'm happy with. Could I make an extra couple points or if I was just out there doing, working my ass off every day, all day on, on projects? Possibly. Right. But the, the quality of life is a lot easier this way and, and I'm, I'm completely happy with where things are going. So today, if you know someone's not in the real estate business, let's say they're an attorney, they have a million bucks saved up, they're afraid of the stock market, right? Stock market's volatile, you know, I can go put a million bucks in a CD and get a five and a half percent return, which is unbelievable, really. What does that look like? For your investors, if they gave you a million dollars, break down kind of how I would get my money back, my return schedule, that whole thing. Sure. So they would know specifically what deal they're getting in. So if you see on the screen, you know, those are all the deals we have. So they wouldn't blindly send us money. What we would, I would call them, I would fully underwrite the deal first. So if I'm, if I'm emailing them, you know, the deal is, is 100% in my opinion. Um, so I would send them over that deal. They would review it. 
they would fund that um, part of that deal directly with the title company or the closing attorney, wherever we're doing the, the attorney. Um, typically, our borrowers are 12%. We, we take a servicing fee, so it, it nets the um, lending partner, you know, double-digit return. There could be some upside in the default there. It could be some upside if we get uh, the property back. But generally speaking, you know, they're going to be about a 10 about a 10% return to them. So they're going to get interest payments every single month. All of our notes are two-year balloon. So prior to that, they'll get their principal return, but it could be as early as a few months. On average, they're going to see their return in around 10 or 12, 14 months. But during that time, they're, they're getting that uh, interest at monthly. That sounds like a great deal. So, yeah. so are you seeing a lot, a lot more investors come your way because of the way the stock market is and the volatility and other investments? Absolutely. I mean, you know, in the short term, the stock market has, has been up recently. But if there really starts to be a turnaround, it's, that's where you're going to see it. And people yeah. just sometimes can't grasp it. But, you know, let's just use 10% return, for example, at a 50% LTV. And say the stock market's at 30000 the Dow, right? I'm guaranteeing you the Dow next year is going to be at 33,000 and 36,300 and so on, you know, for year after year after year. However, if the Dow went from 30,000 to 15,000, you're still on par with your note and getting back 100% of your money. So whereas you've lost 50% of your money in the stock market, you're still totally fine. So you, when you when you put it like that, which is what it really is, it makes sense, you know. Right. So it's it's not conventional. People don't maybe understand it at times, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with investing in the stock market, but it's very difficult to outpace 10% in the stock market. Oh, yeah. And almost always, as a retail investor, you're doing stupid things. You're buying at the high, you're selling at the low, you're, you know, you're panic selling, right. and you're, you're, you're buying when you, when, you know, the very top. So I doubt that you're going to make those returns anyways, but just to say you're a savvy investor and you are, how much time are you putting into that? How much you know, you're watching all day on your phone where you're at work, you're watching it, you know, you're on a date, you're watching it, you're doing yeah, this, and you're at the football game, you're watching it, you know, all those things. It's not fun. Yeah, or, or you go on vacation and you look for the ACH on the first of the month to hit your account. What I don't like about the stock market is it's so intertwined with international politics and, and, and news and, and companies going under and who they appointed to be the CEO. It's, there's so many factors, whereas I feel like this model, right, for an investment is so much more solid, especially here locally. I, I thought I was looking at the mirror when you were saying that, because that's exactly how it is, and it's so true. Prior to real estate, that was my background, stocks, bonds, options, things, oh, okay. of, things of that nature. And you know, you could get you could get company news on something in the stock tanks and they realize, oh, it was the same person with the CEO's name and it was the wrong person, sorry, you know, everything. And meanwhile, you had options and you just lost, you know, all your money on. I think I've only had, I think I had like ten grand in stocks at one time, and and you know years before that, like five hundred bucks. I've never played at a big level, sure. but dude, like you said, just on your phone checking the ticker, like complete obsession. It's not a fun feeling. No, it really is not a fun feeling. So I would imagine, like the example, of the attorney who just wants to be an attorney and has money that he wants to put in his retirement, they want to put it in a place where it's extremely passive. And all those stocks are passive. There's a headspace component that fills up that makes you a nervous investor. Sure. Which I wouldn't like. And it's not automated, right? So your stock goes up. What do you do? Do you sell because you want to get your money, you know, block in your profits? Right. Or do you buy more because you think the stock's going to continue going up? So it's, it's very active even if it's passive. And then these investments. So you mentioned that when someone invests with you, they're actually investing in a specific asset. It's not like I just write you a check and it goes in this general fund. Correct. They would know exactly what houses that they're in. They would have final approval on that. 
while I underwrite everything because most of our people, you know, are 100% passive, they, you know, for some reason they didn't like a land deal, they can just pass on it and we'll get them in the next deal. It's not a problem. Mm. And then their, their capital returns, their principal returns after that deal is paid off. So they get their money back. They can decide if it's for them, if they want to continue, if they want to grow. I mean, all of our lending partners have just continued to snowball and that's how we've gotten you right. know, to the almost nine. I think this, this month will hit 90 million in total current loans on, on the books. That's amazing. Is that typical in your business to actually, you know, have an investor be on a specific asset? There's there's a few ways to do it. You know, some some lenders just pool everybody's money, but I like the transparency of knowing exactly what what you're in. You know, you don't own a door or doorknob on fifty different properties. Like you know what you're in. You can go drive by your house and look at it. Tell your friend, hey, I'm the, I'm the lender on that. Yeah. You know, you know exactly. So, um, not to say one is right or wrong. I'm happy with the way we're doing it. There's there's not a lot of red tape. You know, there's a full transparency, and and it makes for an easy business. Well, it almost is like you know you can be a real estate investor without you know having a lot of that risk, like we mentioned earlier, right? Sure. Like, I think a lot of people, especially here locally, like real estate. Yeah. Know, as an investment, so this is a good way to get in. That's extremely passive, where you can actually identify properties you're invested on. Right. Exactly. So what is the biggest deal you've done? Do you guys have a limit in the money you lend? We don't have a limit. Uh, our biggest current active deal is 5.8 million. It's a, it's a big warehouse of, off of Lineball. Um, typically, it would be limited by a person's down payment, right? So you know, it's not, not a lot of people have 2 million bucks to put down. Also at that level, hopefully you'd have some sort of institutional lender who would be a little bit cheaper than us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Most guys that are playing in the multi-million dollar space should have uh, bank lending relationships or more conventional lending relationships or, or equity partners that, that are to that level. Not to say that always, but a lot of times. Do you know uh, David Clemens, BKC Lending? Yeah, I know him well. So I used him on a building I bought on Highland Avenue, and his process, it sounds similar to yours. I don't know the differences between y'all's businesses, but I would almost go y'all's route, you, David, this private lending route versus conventional just because it's not a pain in the ass. Yeah, we're very similar to our underwriting. I don't know their exact guidelines, yeah. but you know, we have co-funded deals before. Those are, those are good guys over there. Oh, cool. And, and yeah, there's huge value. We have guys that are totally bankable, conventional, have tons of money, great credit, but they don't want to deal. That's or, where we or, were at. Or, or the 30 to 45 to 60 day underwriting Right. Where, you know, we, we have closed deals in zero days before. We've never heard of the deal. You call me. Typically, that's because a bank has, has you know, screwed up a deal and you need to close today or you're going to lose your $50,000 deposit. Exactly. So everyone's scrambling. They'll call us in the morning. We'll call up our, our attorney and say, you got to get on this right now. We're gonna, that's the advantage. You know, yeah, we get it done. So, yeah. you know, we like, we like five days, 10 days. That's plenty of time for us. But if we had it in an emergency, we can get stuff done in zero days. I think you have to have a lending partner like you in this market because there is a lot of competition for buyers. Sure. And if I'm getting conventional financing and I, and I have the same offer price as another buyer, I'm probably not going to win the deal as the other buyer who's working with you that can close in two weeks. hundred percent. It's, it's, you know, the, the market is a little bit less competitive now, but going back a year, two years yeah. when it was nuts, totally bankable, conventional. This is when rates were low too. Um, they would use us to secure the property and we have no prepayment penalty, right? So mm. they use us to they, they get the loan and then in 30 to 60 days, they refi out with their bank, but they got in the house, right? Because families just couldn't find a property. So people were using that. Uh, we hadn't seen that before, but you know, going back again, a year and a half, two years, three years ago, we would see that a lot where people would use us and then refi out. 
Yeah, you, you really had to a year and a half ago. Yeah. And the market was so bananas. What, what are some significant things that you've seen in the market? We have had, I mean, this incredible shift over just the last two years. Like, what are some surprising things that you've seen in your space? I mean, going back to COVID, people didn't really know, right? right? Was, was it going to tank? Everything going to tank? Right. And it ended up being probably a huge boom. So that, that was a little, a little surprising. Um, I think interest rates at these levels surprised everybody, but I think it shouldn't have, right? Historically, we're about average. For The problem is for the last 15 years, 14 years, people only know up now, mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, how old are you? 31. Yeah, so you, your adult life, you've only seen an up real estate market. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, in your teens, you were looking at something. In high school, the recession happened. I yeah. wasn't really paying attention. Yeah, so right now, people are like, I'll just buy anything and it'll, it'll, and it'll just go up. You know, so who knows how who knows? that, so people don't even, they can't fathom a high interest rate, just stable, which is healthy, uh, real estate market, you know, so. Yeah, I'm curious to know what's going to happen too. I've heard both sides. I've heard interest rates are going to go down, you know, and I've also heard they're going to go up. My prediction would be that they'll either stay level or tick up a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's just because I don't think the Fed's understanding of inflation, I don't think that they think inflation is going to slow down. Right. I, I would imagine that they would think if they reduce the interest rate prices, we'll kind of go back up and inflation will increase. And, and really, we know that's true, right? We're residential brokers. We know that if interest rates were at 6% tomorrow, you'd have a flood of buyers coming in. Absolutely. I think a lot of people are on the sidelines right now because of high interest rates. They're choosing to rent. They're choosing to not make the move. If you had lower interest rates, those people would just jump back in the market. Yeah, naturally. I mean, you know, my little brother just bought his house and he was around 7% for a conventional, but it's what he had to do, right? But yeah, if you saw if you saw something down at five, you'd get, a, you'd get a gold rush on mortgages again. Well, when was it? Was it in the early 80s? I think it was the early 80s when interest rates were like 18%, yeah. right? Like a credit card, buying yeah. a house and putting it on a credit card. And a lot of people say, well, houses were $50,000 back then, which they were. So do you think interest rates will go that high? I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. That was, you know, uncanny time. I think that was a, a fluke. Who knows? You, you can't, can't never say never, but I think around here is just more of what normal was that people didn't realize. So they maintain around here a drop or increase. People will get used to it. People figure yeah. it out. You know, it's not, it's a little painful, um, but yeah, life goes on. You have to get things done. That's, that's right. Yeah. And I think that 8% does hurt, but it's not a killer. Sure. It's not going to kill our economy. 12%, if your rate was standard, conventional, that might be a problem. Yeah. Just slows things down, right? Well, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think it's going to go up or down? You know, I, I think we probably maintain around here. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I don't see us going to a true double digit. I'd say around here is okay and, and somewhat healthy. I know people don't, don't like it, but... Uh, you know, here plus or minus one, um, you know, I think we probably stay seven to eight and a half, somewhere in that range for, for some time, maybe a year. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to talk about how you guys get paid back, the two-year balloon. What would happen if banks, well, not really a what would happen question, but it seems like banks are less inclined to do cash-out refis and those sort of loans. Is that typically how your lenders? It depends on the borrower. You know, our borrower... There's many different reasons. Some some are investment where they, they plan to exit in you know three to six months. Some just wanted some cash out. So so it's really hard to say. But we do see obviously refis. We see properties selling. Um, there's a lot of reasons that somebody would would pay off 
pay us off and have the ability to do so. So it's not one single thing. Do you have a program in-house that has some sort of a long-term debt? We don't. This is the only program we have. Typically, um, we do a lot of business in town. So typically, whoever refers us over the business, we will then send the deal back to them to cash out the, you know, or, or conventionally buy. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, do you ever see yourselves adding different programs? I mean, you could extend this lending arm pretty long, right? Yeah, I don't I don't think we will. You know, I don't want to be in a 30-year fix. I don't want yeah. to be in a 15-year fix. My lending partners like the short duration of it. You know, we have a really smooth and good program that we've just grown exponentially, and I think I'm just keeping to keep going there. I mean, who knows macroeconomically what could happen to maybe change that, but... I don't really see it. I mean, even the down market, our program works, and I'm happy with it. If, if real estate starts going down 5%, 10% a year, which I don't think it would in the long term, but we're still okay to lend, you know, in these parameters right. in, in that kind of market. How did you guys set the entire thing up, right? So in the beginning, you were flipping houses. Let's go back to that. And before the show, we were talking, you actually have a family business, right? Your brothers are involved. Correct. So, you know, was it your idea that you brought to them? Was it theirs? You guys kind of all came together. How did this whole thing get yeah, set so, up? Yeah, so it kind of just happened naturally, you know. We didn't have a blueprint or a plan. Um, again, I wanted, I saw value in a tangible asset like real estate, but I was tired of flipping houses and doing construction. Uh, you know, people needed capital for some other deals, and we kind of just started there and, and snow, snowballed it from there. So it was my older brother, Kevin, and myself originally. My younger brother, uh, James, you know, was pretty young at the time. He was just... In, in college still. Uh, he worked here at a, at a transportation firm in, in Ebor, and we took him on once we kind of uh, got on and now he runs all the payments and you know closings, insurance, and the whole back end of, of everything. So That's it's, awesome. it's, a great, it's a great relationship. My older brother underwrites a lot of the deals. We all bring in capital and find borrowers, so it's a, it's a very uh, nice relationship between all of us. How do you typically reach out to those borrowers? Or do you do advertising? No, we actually, we've, we've spent zero in advertising forever. It's all referral-based. Um, you know, because somebody, when they go to Bank of America and Bank of America closes their loan, no, they're not telling all their friends and family that Bank of America closed their loan because it was supposed to happen. When mm -hmm. you have your family moving down from New York in a U-Haul with your dog and your kids and you're closing Friday and, you're, and you sold your property in New York, and on Wednesday, Bank of America says, hey, listen, I know we've had your file for 45 days. We're not going to be able to close now. And they're like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm moving down. I'm in the U-Haul. And we get that call on, on Wednesday, and we close them, and they move in on Friday. They're telling everybody, right? Mm. They're telling everybody. And the broker that almost lost the deal, the agents that almost lost the deal, the title company, the attorneys, everybody was about to work for free for 45 days. So we close that deal. Everyone gets paid, and, and you know, they're going to go tell everybody as well. So it really sells itself yeah. on, on the need. Um, you know, we really solve a lot of problems for people and we're, we're an asset based lender, but with common sense. So, you know, we can figure out a solution to pretty much any deal that has equity in it. You know, mm. we can cross collateralize things. We, there's a lot of things we can do as long as the equity is there. Is a big part of your business saving those deals? Yeah. I mean, people aren't coming to a private lender or a hard money lender typically because they had an offer of conventional financing, right? They're right. coming because they need to get a deal done. They've been let down by their bank. 
or some other lender and, and they need to get the deal done still and they typically need to get it done very quickly. Yeah. Do you got so is two year balloon um, no prepayment? Is that your standard package? That's our standard. Some 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 other lenders are six month or a one year balloon, but we don't want to put the burden under pressure of of the borrower where hey you know a deal took longer than normal and now you can face a foreclosure or you got a refi or or whatever the case may be. So we kind of give them two years, but if they want to pay it off in a month, no problem at all. Dude, it really seems like you you guys are like the opposite of a loan shark. You're like a you're like a loan teddy bear. I mean, every question I've asked about, you know, taking a property back or why a two year balloon, it's always like, well, we don't want to put pressure on our borrowers. I love that. I mean, I think that's awesome. You'd be um, surprised. You know, all we ask is for communication. There's very rarely a situation that we can't communicate and figure it out. You know, when our borrower puts their head in the sand, doesn't communicate, then of course we have to file a foreclosure and go through, you know, right. attempt to go through. Of the business, exactly. Right? But if you call me and say, man, I'm not going to have a payment for three months, but this is why. I have this property, it's selling, here's the contract on it, it's listed. You know, we probably won't even charge you late fees or anything like that. That's you know? amazing. Yeah, we just want to exit it and, and have you come back to us and you're going to tell you all your friends and family about that too. From an investor standpoint, if I'm putting money with you, right, on a deal, do they ever put pressure on you guys to be more like bullish and, and, and more try not, to aggressively take a property back? Or not typically. I mean, ultimately, we would call them and and but they're reasonable people. You know, we like to work with good people. Yeah. So if we had a lending partner that was like that, we'd probably select to not work with him any longer. Got it. Um, and we're making them a good return and, and that they that they're happy with. So typically, we will guide them as to what to do. If for some reason they were like, no, I, I want to do this, you know, and, and they have the majority of the money in the deal, then we're happy to, to do that as well. But uh, we're not trying to burn any bridges and we want to have a good reputation. Too. So you guys are really selective on both ends, who you're taking money from and investing in, and then also the real estate, and then as, as well as the borrower. Absolutely. You know, we've, we've been um, fortunate to have uh, good lending partners and, you know, those guys are happy and, they, and they're really easy to work with. If somebody came and, and they weren't easy to work with, you know, we don't need their money, we don't need their capital, so we would just choose not to do business with them. It seems like right now, especially in this market here in Tampa, there's a ton of opportunity for development still. Do you guys ever do your own projects? Sometimes, and usually at the end of that project, I'm like, what the hell did I do this for, yeah. right? Because it's the same return anyways, and, I was, right. and it was taking up 90% of my time yeah. and, and all that. So. Uh, there's occasionally a home run deal that comes around, and we're like, man, we should really do this. And about by the end of it, usually about one a year, we're we're like, why did we do this? We should have just done nothing. It's a whole different ballgame, right? I feel like the lending space, it sounds easy. What am I missing? I don't know. I mean, Maybe yeah. is the reason why there's a lot low risk because of the required down payment. I mean, the borrower's putting down, it sounds like a minimum of like 40 or 50%. Minimum of 30% on average, 43%. The hardest part is finding the borrowers, really. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, 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 the deals aren't complex. Banks try to make it super complex. All we're trying to do is lend our money and, and have a safety net behind it, right? We're not checking a box. There's so many scenarios of deals that I see that a bank will turn down that it just doesn't make any sense, right? Like the guy wants to put, you buy a million, we'll use that one for example, buying a million dollar condo, he wants to put down 90%, he wants to put down 900,000. So he wants to borrow 100,000. Every day, all day, of course, I would do that deal. 
where a bank's like, oh, well, he changed jobs six months ago. Right. You know, <laughs> he changed jobs to a more profitable job, but since he had a, a lapse of income, you know, they'll deny that deal. Like, that's that's a deal that just don't make sense, but a bank has that to operate to that way. That happened to me. I had a, uh, I owned a condo free and clear, and I wanted to pull out a few hundred thousand. And I think it was still like, I don't know, I would have had like 70% equity or whatever it was. And the bank wouldn't do it because I'm a traditional, like I'm a self-employed guy. I don't have a W-2. We see it all, all day long. We see it. So they come to you. Do you do cash out refis like sure. that short term? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no prepayment penalty. So it can be as long as they want up to two years. So someone could come to you and say, I own this building free and clear. I want to pull X amount out. Yes. And you'll get that same kind of a deal, right? Two-year balloon, no prepayment. Correct. All the, awesome. all the same terms, up to that 70% value if it's a single family. I would imagine you see that a lot. Guys come to you with an asset. Help me pull money out of the asset. I want to buy another asset. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and like I said earlier about cross-collateralizing, you know, somebody may own a building now. They want to buy a building. They're cash poor, but, you know, asset rich. And we put a lien on the current building in lieu of a down payment on the new one. So there's $0 out of pocket. You know, That's we finance that all, all in. There's, you know, no closing cost as far as cash. Yeah. And we just leverage their current holdings to do new ones. Like I said, we get creative. If there's equity there and we can communicate about it, we can get it done. And then it's almost like a portfolio loan, right? Sure. You're, you're taking someone's kind of assets and, and saying, where's the equity? What can we pull from where to buy this new piece? Exactly. Interesting. Very cool. I'm kind of in that position now. Maybe we can talk after the show. But, there you go. Or, or online. I don't really care. That building I was talking to you about up in Tampa Heights, the one with David. Mm-hmm. So he has a one-year balloon. Yep. I'm going to have to figure out a way to go to a bank and pull money out to pay him back. But it almost seems like banks are pulling back on that. 100% they are. Everything. Their lines of credit, their mortgages, they're definitely tightening. Um you're going to see, I think you're going to see a lot of projects get funding halted um, and and not be able to perform or complete the project, I think, in the next, you know, now to next couple of years. So in this situation, I could pull money out, pay him back. Do you require, you know, a place where the money's going? As in like, hey, you know, pulling out a million dollars, 400 of it's going to David and the rest is going toward this new asset I'm buying. It depends on the asset value. So if the asset value supports the loan amount, then we, you know, we don't care. We're, again, we're just trying to protect our capital. So as right. long as the asset value is there, up to X percent that we feel safe at, then, then we're good. Go. That, I, that's the real separation between you guys and the conventional banks. The sure. banks want to scrutinize the borrower and really look into kind of the, you know, the income and what they own and all this sort of stuff. You're strictly an asset lender. Correct. We're not even, we're not even pulling your credit. We're also not going to show as an obligation on your credit. So you know, oh, really? yeah, our, our loan, unless there's some sort of delinquency, would it be reported? So it looks better for you, for your obligation. So when you go apply for something else, that mortgage payment isn't on there because, you know, that's what they're going to look at. Oh, he can't afford this because he has these payments due every month. Well, they're never going to see our payment. Interesting. And then new construction wise, you guys are not really in that space, right? So typically, you know, we'll just lend on current as is value. So an example of how we could do that is... You know, a guy bought a piece of land for 400000 owns it free and clear, right? And he's doing a $600,000 construction cost on it. Well, we can say, okay, we'll, we'll lend 50% on, on the land and give you 200000 to start your project and then snow, you know, snowball it up to, to complete the project. So depending mm-hmm. on the LTV and how much cash he has in and the, and the land value, we could potentially do it. But it's a very lo- a low portion of our portfolio, only a few percent. And then would the same work with a value-add property? I'm buying a property for a million bucks. I think I can put 300000 into it, and then it'll be worth 
on two million dollars. Yeah. So we again, we could get an appraisal or look at it at, at that point. Lenders don't love to see, hey, I bought it for a million, put three hundred in, and now one point five. Right? They get scared of that. Right. But but we will take a logical approach. And all of our deals, we underwrite them pretty much same day. So you're gonna know. I tell people they're like, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm like, well, send it. Do you have five minutes? Like that's all mm-hmm. it's gonna take to to you know. Now if a guy sends me five deals in a row that are out of this world, and I'm like, ah. You sound like you're a guy that's in love with the deal. Do yeah. you personally look at these deals that come across your desk? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. You're not sending them off to some underwriting team. No. Me and my, me and my two brothers are gonna look at it, and, <laughs> that's and, awesome. and we're gonna we're gonna give you an answer. If it's complex, we might need a day on it. If it's normal. You'd be surprised in five minutes. We're like, yeah, you're people are like I'm approved, and they've been dealing with a bank for four months on it, right? So they're like, they, they think it's like they don't believe it, right? Yeah, I just had a lady. That's, that's what happened with David. I was like, what the? Because I've never done hard money lending. Yeah, it was my first experience, and I was like, this is so much easier than conventional. This is insane. Yeah, I had a lady on Friday. She called me, and she's been dealing with a couple of different banks for four months, and she owns a property free and clear, and she has cash as well, and and uh, I'm sorry, land free and clear, and she has cash as well. And she wanted like five hundred thousand for a bill, but she's gonna get started, you know, with money. And she, I think she paid two hundred thousand for the property. I'm like, yeah, it sounds good. We'll, we'll fund it. She's like, really? What? She, what? Yeah, how could you do this? You know? Oh my god. Yeah, and I think as the conventional market gets tight, tighter and tighter and tighter, and banks really pull back, you guys are gonna do even better than you have been. You guys have been doing great too. I saw you're on the fast fifty scroll down, Tyler. What was it? Fast 50 fastest growing businesses in Tampa Bay. Correct. That's amazing. Dude. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that was a, a good deal. Happy to uh, get the recognition there, get our name out there. Well, you guys deserve it. And I think it, and, and from what I'm hearing from your story, you really had the idea before the market took a turn in your favor, obviously, right? I think it sounds like as the conventional market gets more unadvantageous for an investor, people are going to turn in your direction. Yeah. But you kind of saw that before this market shift occurred. Yeah. So there was obviously when, when we shifted to lending, there was another six, seven, and who knows how many more years of just straight up. Right. So I, I exited early per se in, right. in that regard, but I'd rather be early than, than a minute late. Cause once things turns around, you know, that's, that's when trouble comes and I'm completely fine with our lending portfolio in, in any scenario, you know, even like a 08 type deal, which I don't think will happen, but no. you know, we're, we're, we're okay with it. Especially here. I think, you know, if you watch the national news, you'll see some markets that take a hit, a yeah. big hit in the next 24 months, especially as the election heats up, people get a little hinky, people exit contracts. We see a lot of buyer apprehension during those politically volatile times, Sure. which I think will happen, but not yeah, real estate's a big decision for people. So when there's any kind of turmoil, they you know they back up and just kind of wait and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. So we were also talking before the podcast about the motor enclave. Yeah, that is an interesting development to me. Um, I had Brad on the show, and he was explaining how the way they found the Tampa market to build that was through an algorithm. So he looked at all the markets in the entire country, like every metropolitan area, in Tampa had the most indicators of car enthusiasts out of the entire country, beating Miami, beating LA. I had no idea. When I first heard of this- That's my yours, yep, on the left there. Yeah, when I first heard of this, I thought it was a crazy idea, but as I learned more about it, I love it. I think it's incredible. So you actually own one of these condos. What made you do that? Correct, yeah, Brad is a genius. I don't know how he pulled this off, way, way above what I would ever dream to be intelligence-wise, getting this done, but um, somebody approached me about investing in the project overall. So I'm like a very, very early day one investor on it. And then I also have a, a unit with a couple partners. 
um, that end unit there. So we're really close to the, the um, you know, convention center and, and the end of the straightaway. So it's a, it's a premium unit, you know, from, from day one I was in. So that's, that's a, now an investor in the project or do you mean about purchasing a condo? Both. So I'm an but, investor in the project and then I bought a, a condo in there as well. That's bold as hell because conceptually, right, on paper, it's kind of a... Did it's you not, see it as risky? Like, is this really going to work? What yeah, 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 absolutely. It was one of those ones where I thought I was going to invest and I thought it was, at the end of it, I was going to be like, what the hell did I do that for? Right. But no, it, it turned out well. But I'm a car enthusiast. Um, again, going back to Brad, the, the intelligence he had to pull this off because you're dealing with so many regulations and it's not just, hey, I'm building a, a single family home, right? I'm sure in, in some development you've done, it's, it's a nightmare dealing with government agencies. Well, he wanted to put a racetrack here right. and, and car condos, but they're not really condos. And, and, and then, you know, all off road, if you look to the right there, there's, uh, I don't know how many acres, I think the whole project is 200 acres and there's, you know, a hundred or something off road acres. So like okay. Can-Ams and, and AT, you know, side-by-sides and all that, you can kind of race there. Has a skid pad, yeah, there's Brad on the right. Um, kind of has everything. So it's a pretty wild concept and I'm, and I'm, I'm excited to see it progress. You know, there'll be a Vegas style pool. Um, things will be open, I think, by everything by 2024, but I race there regularly now. I just did my first off-road event there last week, so there's a lot going on. Were you driving one of these things? I have not, it's a cross cart. They're trying to get me to buy one of those things, but I was in a, I mean, my, my partners and I got a Can-Ams. We got two Can-Ams, so oh, we got okay. a four-seater and a two-seater. So. Yeah, Soul Design Studio, the um, architect, Carlos Molnar, I had him on the show too. He was the architect for the, uh, the uh, event space they have here. So he, he was familiar with it. He was explaining the design. And I, I can't believe uh, Brad was showing me some of the condos. People are putting some oh, money in it. It's going to be crazy. So tell me about yours. Do you own like a single unit? So it's a, it's a double unit. We combined, took the wall out. So, you know, it's, it's uh, about 2,700 square feet on the bottom level. Once it's all built, it'll be about 5,000 square feet. Um, Studio Detroit, who's doing a lot of design. You know, we're, we're in for permitting now. So the design is done. Wish I had a copy I could I could show you up there, but I don't I don't have a way to access it now. Um, the design is done, and you know we'll be building it out soon. I imagine it'll take you know six twelve months, and, and it'll be good to go. That's awesome. Have you always been a car enthusiast? I have. Yeah, yeah. Since a little kid. Yeah, exactly. Going to car shows with my dad. Um, outside of this, I got another warehouse that I'm going to be almost done. It's way behind schedule, but almost done with it. That I can store cars, and then also people want to you know. A private indoor garage space, yeah, climate controlled. They can pay a fee to store their car there monthly, little hangout spot and all that. Seems like a really popular business model in the last like year, two years. Like the other one, Paddock Garages, mm-hmm. like they're opening. Yep, it. Paddock one, and then I think there's one in uh, St. Pete as well. Yeah, um, it is. You know, people have, especially as you get more downtown high rises, you get one spot or maybe two spots where people have that extra. Ferrari or Lamborghini, they don't want to probably don't want to park there generally speaking, but also don't have a spot for it. They need a place like this to to put their uh, spots. It makes sense. Well, yeah, both of them were a passion for me. They weren't, you know, I'm I'm a car guy, so I I did them as a passion. And if they turn out to be a business, and I mean the the price of the motor enclave has skyrocketed anyway, so I'm glad I bought that. Um, well, I think as Tampa, you know, <clears throat> as we keep our shitty road system and potholes, I think you guys will do well because no one wants to drive their Ferrari on the streets around here, man. It's it's pretty tough. My Jeep has a tough time, bro. Yeah. Yeah. What's the uh, oldest car you've owned? What was your first, you know, collector's item car-wise? So my 61 Lincoln is probably, I believe I've, I've owned the longest. Yeah, I, I don't remember. I'd probably... Do you have a page where you have your cars? Yeah, um, if you pull up High Society Motor Club. Um, 
they will show you, I think there's only about 10 or 15 cars in there. I think I'm around, at like 35 cars right now. It's an addiction I need to, to <laughs> shed, but it's, uh, it's fun. It's a fun one. Now, how long have you had the Lincoln? I'm trying to think. I guess I had that since 2008 or 9. I have to look. Scroll down, Tyler. That's the Lincoln there, yeah. The black one. yeah. Oh, perfect. So people, people do wedding driveaways and wedding getaways and... You know, I don't. Yeah, I don't tell rent. me about the High Society Motor Club. Yeah, so I don't rent them out like Toro. Like you can't just have it for the day because people don't know how to drive old cars, right? They'll overheat them, or they want to right. know why there's no power windows or manual transmissions or any of that stuff. But you know, a couple got engaged and a couple had a wedding drive away. So you can rent them for photo shoots. Exactly, more just props, or then your wedding will drive you away in it. Um, you know that sort of thing. Look at that '70s Porsche. That thing is sweet, man. Yeah, it's a '77 Turbo. So are you going to keep all of your cars, or at least most of them, at the Motor Enclave? Uh, actually, the other warehouse will hold about 90 cars, so um, probably the other one that I had mentioned. Looks like you need a few more. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. you got to fill that thing up. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> What's your favorite car? It's hard to say. It's like having a favorite kid. Right. You know? I don't know. There's, 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 I don't know. That Porsche is pretty badass. You don't, you don't seem to have a... Um, a look or like a niche car you like, you have everything. I mean, you've got the classics, the muscle cars, the Land Rover, the Rolls. Yeah, I'm always finding crazy deals on things. So typically you're not going to get a good deal on a 69 Camaro or 69 Mustang. Everyone wants that, right? Yeah. It's always like a Fiat or an Alpha or, or a Land Rover or just I something. Like that Fiat. Yeah, I like that thing. Dude, that That's thing is awesome. That thing is awesome. Look, look at that. It looks small, but you can fit four people very comfortably in there. Those are all over Italy. Yeah. If you go to Rome, there's like a hundred of those driving around. Yeah. And I got the old, you know, a lot of old Jaguars. Um, so just things that fall through the cracks of these different auctions I go to that I can pick them up for a deal and, and have fun with them. Do you have a wife, girlfriend? I have a girlfriend, Kaylee. What does she think about all of this? She's pretty understanding of it, actually. She's yeah, like, she's oh, no, Ryan bought another car. She is like that. No, she'll come <laughs> home and I'll be in the garage, like getting something delivered and you know, detailing or something, and she, she'll come home from work and be like, what the hell is this? But she, she gets it. Oh, my God. That's awesome. And I love this thing, this Shelby. Click on that, Tyler. That thing's badass. That yeah, that's quick. Yeah, that's a factory. Uh, factory 5 is a company that makes those. It has some crazy engine. I think it's like a 488 big block. Um, I bought it from a 70-something-year-old man who, who had it done ground up. And, uh, you know, I can't believe he owned it, but good for him. So, actually, the Brad told me the largest private collection of Cobras is here in Tampa. Really? By an individual owner. Yeah, 140-something. Holy shit. Do you remember what we were saying, Tyler? No, I don't. Man, I was like, whoa, really? Yeah, yeah look at that thing. Look at that engine, dude. The bloodshot eyes. Amazing. 570 horsepower, almost 600 torque. That thing probably rips, dude. Yeah. So, are you going to expand the car business? It sounds like it. Again, it's just 100% a passion of mine, and, and I have these cars, so it's kind of just fun to do. Right. I, I really don't have any interest in making it a business yeah. because I'm very protective of the cars. I don't want to have, like, random drivers and things like that. So You would get that, yeah, too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like 100%. Yeah, and, and people, again, me driving these cars over years, I know everything about their little quirks, and but if, even if I had a trusted friend drive it, he just doesn't know. You know, it's like your child. You know that thing, right? Yeah, so. I, I totally hear you. I mean, I just have a Grand Cherokee, and I barely let my wife drive. I can't imagine putting it online and having random people drive it. I would be so afraid. Yeah. You mentioned, too, earlier about back to the Motor Enclave. Meat Market, something like that, was involved? No, yeah, I'm a, I'm an early investor in Meat Market. Oh, The cool. Tampa one, yeah. So, oh, obviously, that's, awesome. 
that was a huge success. You know, another thing that I kind of went on the outskirts, you know, of real estate for. Right. Happy I did it. I wish I did more. But it's uh, it's been you know nobody could have predicted how how well it's done. But they um, have exploded. I mean, you go there every night. That place is packed. And amazing lunch too. Like the the they have a, I think it's a bison burger. It's like a bison, um, beef mixture burger. It's phenomenal. That, yeah. I love meat market. So are you involved in the new one in Boca too? I am not. They they presented it to me. And again, just being outside of the Tampa market, I really try to support Tampa businesses. So. Um, you know, I passed on the deal, but I'm sure it'll be very successful, and, and a lot of the current investors are probably in that. But I am only in the Tampa uh, location. No doubt. So, any other investments, cars, meat market, real estate? You know, I try to support the, the Tampa economy. I've been in some, some other local deals, some other startups. Um, some are still going on, and hopefully they'll have success, but nothing, nothing out, out right now. You do... It seems like you invest in things that interest you. I think that's awesome. Sure. Right? Like, you love meat market food. It's a Tampa business, cars, the whole thing. It sounds like, you know, any any idea, you know, that came to you that was interesting, that was a part of the local community, you might be interested in. Sure. So, is that kind of your mindset? You're always open to new ideas? It is. I always am. I'm always happy to take five minutes with anybody to talk about anything. You know, as the lending business progresses, I'm like, why the hell did I do that? But, you know, I should have just, just stick with the lending, but it's right. boring, you know? I mean, it's, it's exciting, but yeah. it's like not sexy. It's way cooler to show you meat market, and way cooler to show you a racetrack. You know, I could show you somebody's note and mortgage and be like, eh, <laughs> they paid me, you know, and that's it. Right. So. Well, it's probably a great business that can support other endeavors that you may have. Absolutely. And, and the connections that you meet on both sides, right? right? All these other people I'm meeting dozens and hundreds of people that may be lending partners, they may be borrowers. So it's just good to immerse yourself in the in the community and, and meet a lot of people like that. A hundred percent, man. Well, listen, this was a great episode. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I got a present for you. Oh, you do? You ready for it? Break it out. What do we got? A present? What Check is this? that out. Open to the tab. I think you might like it. 1953. No way. Yearbook? Yeah, open to this tab here. What tab is it on the top? Recognize anybody on there? No way. I see Joe Greco. Is that not your Greco? No. Oh, shit, I thought it was. But I believe Joe Greco... Wasn't he on city council? I think he was... I'm probably going to get this wrong. I'll have to ask my grandfather. But I think Joe Greco was the chairman of city council while my grandfather, Dick Greco, yeah, that's who, so I was thought, mayor. I thought he was in that book. Because didn't he go to University of Tampa, your grandfather? He he actually went to University of Florida oh. and taught at the University of Tampa. Gotcha. I think this is one of our cousins, though. You have to check it out. Give him Dude, me. thank you for getting me this. This is so yeah. cool. I was going to come with a vintage Greco tea, honestly. And then I saw that there was no teas available, and then I saw that, and I was like, yeah, I'll grab this instead. Dude, Ryan, thank you. This is so cool. Yeah, actually, I, I looked in it for two seconds yesterday, just checking out people, like, what they did back, what is that, 70 years ago now? Yeah. And, like, how they, how they did it at the University of Tampa. I kind of wanted to look some people up, you know, like, yeah, the, absolutely. the um, voted most successful and see where they did and just a bunch of things like that. But I thought it was pretty cool, so I wanted to get well, to you. you well, listen, I appreciate that. This is so cool. I'll have to bring this to my grandfather. You know what? There's Dick Greco, and there he is right there. there Joe go. Greco is on a different page. Here he is, Dick Oh, Greco. maybe I mismarked the page. Dude, I was very confident. Dude, that's him. <laughs> you got to be so confused. I was very confident it was him, and I must have mismarked the, uh, the page there. No, you're good, man. Here he is, Dick Greco. There he is. It's handsome, a picture, right? Handsome bastard. Yeah, what is this? 1953. 53. 
I can't wait to show him this. As far as I know, he went to the University of Florida, and then I believe either came back and finished at UT, apparently, if he's in the yearbook. Yeah. But I know he taught at the University of Tampa also. Fascinating. Ryan, you're the man. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you guys. Listen, Thank you, man. If people want to find you, follow you, get involved as an investor or borrower, how can they do that? Yeah, Instagram's probably easiest. Mr. McGinnis, so it's M-R-M-C-G-U-I-N-N-E-S-S is my personal. Or um, RPM Realty, I-N-V, like invest. So Instagram, you know, most people have that. They can reach out to me. Um, that's probably the best way. Beautiful. Ryan, you're the man. Thank All right. Thanks, guys. All right, appreciate it. Bye, everybody.